Good morning and welcome to Week on Three with me, Janice Wong, where we look at highlights from the past week here on Radio Three. In the next half hour, we will hear about concerns from the restaurant trade on Hong Kong's proposed vaccine bubble. We will also find out more about the ongoing consultation on a producer responsibility scheme for plastic drinks containers. But first, let's find out about the Heartbreaker. It's a documentary in the making on Melvis, Hong Kong's iconic Elvis impersonator, who recently passed away. Filmmaker Richie Fowler told Phil Whelan more about the flamboyant entertainer on our Morning Brew program. Melvis is someone, you know, he's one of those characters. He's he's been around Hong Kong for so long, and I think、um, since when I was younger, you know, even before I, I sort of got to know him quite quite intimately. Really. I would, yeah, you know, I'd see him out in in Wan Chai and Lan Kuai Fong, and and he was always this guy who's、uh, there around town, and、um, you know, I think、uh, when I actually got to know him, you actually really, you know, he was actually a really lovely, really <laughs> sort of like humble human being. Yeah. And、um, so I think that's like that's the real that's the real way I, I connected with him because I think he's someone who's. Um, you know, he was so, he was so devoted to the spirit of Elvis and, and in performing, and he's he's such a entertaining performer that I think he actually he really touched a lot of people. It's interesting. You're the first person I've ever、yeah. met who who knew Melvis. Did you call him Melvis or did you use his real Melvis, name? Melvis. Actually, so so I actually called him Quok、uh, Sang. So、huh? his name is Mr. Quok. Right. So、um, you know, so like un- I mean, this is the interesting thing. So like underneath sort of his like facade and his persona. Of Melvis, you know, he was he was still a father, you know, a husband, and he he had、um, uh, you know sons and daughters, and and a really loving wife, and a passion for doing this stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, this was his sort of like entertainment. This was his like spirit. You know, he's he's someone who、um, he went through. I think he went through quite like a hard and difficult life early on, and、mm. um, so I think. Like being able to perform as 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 Elvis was his like real sort of go to, and that, that gave him his spirit. You know, just talking to you for three minutes here, I think I've gotten to know more about this guy than I have in twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, this is the thing. You know, he's he's someone who you know Hong Kong is is quite sort of like a conformist society, and he's he's someone who's like such a.、Um, You know, he he could be seen as such an outcast and you know an outlier and and everything. Let's talk about the piece itself, the heartbreaker. So、sure. it started off based on the fact that you, as a Hong Kong kid, got to know、yeah. this guy, and then obviously it's changed, but it's still very much in the works. I get the impression it's more in the works now, but it's going to have a slightly different incarnation. So our initial plan was to take him,、uh, surprise him on a trip to、um, either Las Vegas or、um, Memphis, you know, the home of Elvis. Yeah. And、um, actually taken to like an Elvis convention, you know, to try and fulfill his dreams as a performer, to meet sort of other people as passionate and as devoted to、um, Elvis as he was. But but because of you know 2019, we had all of this you know all this political change and a lot of things up in the air. A lot of interest dried out on on the funding, and then COVID happened. Sure. So I think now now we've had to sort of redirect our, our strategy, and and we've got a we've we've got sort of Big plans in the work, but but essentially what we want to do is, you know, pay respect and, and homage to、um, the man who was who was Melvis, and he represents so much more. What do you think that more is? Oh well, I meant you know he like I think there's like many facets to、uh, this documentary. You know, there's looking at his personal life, which I think not many people know about.、Um, you know, I think there's. 
uh, I think people could, would definitely sort of connect with like his human story. You know, at the end of the day, he was just a human being with with flaws and and passions, and um, and I think, you know, I think Melvis really actually he he you could really see how he sh he sort of shows the history of Hong Kong, you know, in the 90s and really 2000s does. and 80s. I mean, it's got to yeah. be written all over it, you know, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think through Melvis, like, you know, he he was there at the time when Lang Kwai Fong was conceived in, like, the late 80s and 90s, oh. you know. He, he, he went through, um, you know, 90s, 2000s, and, you know, he's he sort of represents this, like, icon, I think, of, of part of this entertainment life in Hong Kong and especially in, in Lang Kwai Fong and Wan Chai and, and he's like sort of this underdog story of that. Did he invent the name? Did he take on the name himself? He, well, I have an interesting story. So he's, I mean, he's a very like sort of adaptable character. And um, so he's someone who we were like, yeah, where did you, where did, where did your name come <laughs> from, um, Melvis? And he's like, you know, I was, I was out performing one night in Lang Kwai Fong and then <laughs> Someone said, "Hey, you're you're like you're like Melvis, you know." And then he was like, "Oh, I like that. You know, I like I like that." And and so he kind of took it on board, and um, and next thing you know, that's that's what he that's what he was. Um, Named after. Well, I mean, this is a very special piece of Hong Kong history, as, as small as it might be. So I wish you mm -hmm. the absolute best with this one. I mean, Thank where you. where are we now? I guess you're fundraising to continue, uh, you're, you're brainstorming to continue. I mean, what's Definitely, the state yeah. of play? So Melvis um, unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago, and, and that actually really gave us, uh, within our team, so I'm working with, you know, a, a DOP from Hong Kong. I'm... Uh, also working with a production company and a producer from the UK and a director from the UK and wonderful. Um, that really sort of kickstarted us um, to try and complete this project. So I think, you know, so I think at this at this point in time, we're you know we're trying to raise the funds. Um, we're we're going to arrange interviews. We've got sort of a lot of big plans ahead, and um, you know, I meant. We're, we're trying to raise a, a relatively substantial amount of money, but I think, you know, all that money is going to go into, you know, big things sort of like buying archival uh, footage, you, you know, to, which is... Don't you? That's yeah. extremely expensive. Yes, definitely, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, really expensive. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, archival footage, you know, getting permission and, and all that. From, what about, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you... you you, you raise funds. People have projects like yours and they raise funds online and stuff. But what about just yeah. the whole thing of pe people just coming and saying, oh, I've got a clip of him when we were out in 1983, that kind of thing. Is that how I mean, you know what? That, that would be brilliant. And, um, you know, that's actually something we, we definitely need to have a, a call out to. That was filmmaker Richie Fowler speaking on our Morning Brew programme. Now let's turn to the government's proposed vaccine bubble plan announced this week. It's designed to ease COVID restrictions, but only for people who have been vaccinated. They would be allowed various perks like dining out in larger groups and even maybe traveling to designated partner countries. Restaurant staff, though, will have to all get vaccinated first to benefit from eased restrictions. James Robertson, the owner of restaurant chain Grappers and Cadillac, spoke to Backchat hosts Hugh Chiverton and Steve Vines. 
You started the discussion by reading an email from a listener. Alonzo, in an email, says, A number of people in the restaurant sector have expressed their opposition to the government's proposed incentives to speed up vaccination, arguing that it effectively penalises restaurant owners, staff and consumers who have not been vaccinated, either because that is their choice or because of allergies to vaccines. While I sympathise with that view, I also accept that we live in an unprecedented times that may require imperfect responses. Unless Hong Kong reaches a much higher level of vaccination, the catering sector, like the rest of the economy, will continue to struggle. So the sooner the public jumps on the vaccine programme, the faster we can return to some semblance of normality. That is the view from uh, uh, Alonso. JR, good morning to you. Thanks so much indeed for, for joining us. So among the measures are the uh, this, uh, this idea that uh, uh, all staff should have had at least one dose of the uh, COVID vaccine and then there are various arrangements for for, for customers and the size of their groups uh, uh, and so on. What do you make of these uh, these new conditions? Here's the question. Here's the issues. What if the staff refuses? What What is the employer supposed to do? Dismiss the staff? And then who's going to pay long service payment? Us, because the government told us we have to do this, and so we're trying to do this and implement the government's will. Now, obviously, they say you don't have to do that, so they're there's a weasel words and weasel uh, conditions, so probably you don't have to do that. Didn't, didn't well, yeah, they... but if a guy across the street's open till 12 or midnight and I'm not, guess who's going to get more business? Okay, I think the government did talk about uh, having uh, medical exemptions. You could you could say if there was... I have a... not seen that. Uh, yeah, That's th- my biggest issue is my one of my best managers has a condition and he, he's going to government hospital on a regular sure. basis and his doctor, government doctor, has told him not to take the... Okay, my, my understanding is that they would accept medical exemptions. I'm not quite sure how that how that process is, is going to work. But let's go back to the point made by Alonzo right at the beginning, which is it's 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 unfortunate and it's difficult. Um, but it's unfortunate and difficult for everyone, everyone in Hong Kong. And the response, well, not it, really. it, it might be not imperfect. Really. It might be I'm imperfect. Sorry, Hugh. But, no, yeah. Hugh, hold on. They're taking they're, they're taking us out. They want us. And our staff, I don't want to say too much about my staff. I, I like my staff. They're loyal. They work hard. Uh, they're not rocket scientists, and they're not uh, policemen. And, uh, yeah, first of all, what's going to happen, I am told by somebody I spoke to in the government that said that uh, FEHD and police will come on premises, and they will review the, the vaccine card, if you want, for every customer. They're going to come into my restaurant, and i got 60 people in there. They're going to go around and ask everybody for produce your vaccine record i mean talk about disturbance of business but let's go to the rest what about the shopping malls then people can go to the shopping malls and don't tell me because they're wearing a mask because if everybody wears a mask we in theory we don't have to have uh, any virus in hong kong but of course we do and the masks are not 100 percent foolproof what about the hotels hotels are operating f and b outlets police and fbhd are going to come in during operating hours and inspect the vaccine uh, records of, of all the people. Well, I would assume so, yeah. If they have a restaurant, they would be the hotel, the restaurant inside a hotel would be treated the same as a restaurant outside a hotel, wouldn't it? Yeah, but in taxis, and then you get five people in a taxi counting and plus a driver, uh, and they're all in very close proximity. There's nothing about they have to have jabs. Why don't we set up roadblocks and check the taxis? I, t- I didn't understand your point about the masks, um, Jr. Because I mean, sure. that, you know, I think they would say that that's the big difference. That you you you, you take off your mask, you socialise, you sit in close proximity to other people. So uh, you know, restaurants are um, uh, an open invitation to to spread COVID, and there is a big difference there compared to say people walking around in a shopping mall or something like that. But uh, well, I'm trying to disagree with that, 
Mm-hmm. So obviously, if I, if the three of us go out for dinner and we take our masks off and we sit at the corner of the table for two hours and we're drinking wine and eating steak or whatever it is, it's only the three of us. But if you're walking around the NPR station or the buses or the malls and you got your mask, you, you're going to come past in the air zone of, what, 300, 500 people? I mean, the, the risks are far greater, in my view, than, than the three of us sitting at the table drinking wine. So, yeah, that's not the view I of many experts, to be you know, to be honest, Jay. I don't think. I think the close the close proximity for an extended period is uh, exactly how it spreads. Anyway, here's, I, don't, here's, I don't think we know that. Okay, here's another. Here's an email from Mr. Pink, uh, who says, "Good morning." With many Hong Kongers still adopting a wait and see stance towards getting vaccinated, here are two suggestions for Mrs. Lam and her administration. One, the government's underperforming PR machine. <coughs> to allay growing concern about the safety of vaccines. For example, it needs to show, A, the number of local deaths from stroke, stroke heart attacks is very much in line with normal and hence arguably unrelated to vaccines. B, that the number of Astra-linked blood clots in the UK is 1 in 250,000. And C, the number of J&J, uh, Johnson & Johnson-related blood clots is 6 in 6.5 million or less than 1 in a million. Second, as if the government recently announced incentives regarding restaurants, quor- travel quarantine waivers, etc., prove ineffective in stimulating vaccination, then Mrs Lam can resort to the tried and tested carrot cash. Yesterday, I conducted an informal survey of my uh, office colleagues who have hitherto not signed up for either of the two vaccines. I asked them, if the government gives you $10,000 cash to get vaccinated, would you reconsider? Most replied with a maybe, while almost none of them said no. Uh, for some people, money... Uh, clearly still talks that comes uh, from uh, mr pink thank you very much indeed for that comment yes yeah, steve can i ask you jr i mean you you like other people in the business have gone through an absolutely awful year and you talk to other people in the trade how much of the business do you think is going to survive all of this well there's certainly a number of people that have already closed there's a lot of ones that are not going to open and people are out flogging uh, trying to flog their restaurant license and their premise and their lease and that phenomenon is going on all over town um just like the banks uh, during the during the disturbances closed a number of branches and a number of them are never going to open again and i think that same thing is happening throughout our industry and you know go back to checking let's go to mcdonald's or kfc or fairwood or whoever it is and how many people are inside there and dining and, and the police are going to come in and check everybody's Vaccine record. I just find this a horrible uh, exercise. That was James Robertson, the owner of restaurant chain Graffers and Cadillac, speaking on our Bad Chat program. Remember singer songwriter Macy Peters, who spoke to us a few months ago? Well, she's back again on our Common Room program. This time, she told Alison Howe about her latest single, John Hughes' movie, from the making of the music video to how this American filmmaker inspired her. I think I've just really connected to um, his films and sort of the, the way they're able to create such beautiful cinematic worlds and characters that you remember and that you feel like are your friends and that you know and sort of just the colour and the and the, the how vivid they are um, was really inspiring and also I felt like there was a lot of similarities between that and the way that I try and make music in the same thing, having a really vivid world and like a really short amount of time and 
sort of creating characters and scenes and settings that are very similarly coloured to like a John Hughes film. This ain't no John Hughes movie where the girl gets the guy You will cry through me every time you walk by I keep waiting for the heartbreak music Can I come to you about the music video? It looked like you had so much fun making it. I had the most fun. Walk us through the plot. I mean, it's a pretty twisty plot. It is. So essentially, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stalking. Maybe who, because who's to say, stalking my crush, and he seems to have a lot of other crushes. He seems to be spending a lot of time with other girls that aren't me. Um, and so, to be honest, he doesn't seem to be behaving with the best etiquette towards these girls. Um, he's obviously, um, in many ways, leading us all on. So I decided to take him to the prom. And then I have to rip his heart out um, and, you know, turn him into one of the many boys in my dead boy gang um, who are all like converted boys who then have all seen the light and helped me um, in converting other boys. Amazing. I mean, all the girls out there watching this like, yes, you Ooh. go do that. It was yeah, so that. good. But Thank first you. of all, how lucky was that main guy who got casted? <gasps> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he had a great time. It was. It was a very, it was a super fun set, and all the girls were lovely. And Karen, who was played Brad, was also amazing and super, super lovely and talented. So I think it was, it was a very fun day for everyone, especially for Brad. And for me, I feel like you know, at the beginning of the scene, you're in the car, and that that dead boy that was in the driver's seat next to you, that feel like it's meant to be a symbol of something. I think, yeah, he's really, it's uh, funny actually, because I can't drive and it's my fans' favorite joke. They always bully me about it. And so when the director had the original idea, he was like, oh, and you're driving the car. And I was like, hold on, no, I can't be driving the car because I can't drive and my fans just won't believe it. So in the end, we got this, um, yeah, we got a dead boy to be driving the car. And true to form, when my fans started watching the video and it looks at the beginning like I might be driving, all of the comments were like, Maisie, you can't drive. Like, why are you driving? You can't drive. You haven't passed a driving test. And I was like, guys, look, there's a dead boy driving the car. Um, also because it outsourced all of your major uh, requirements to dead boys. I think it's a great idea anyway. Um, so yeah, it was very super fun. Tell us about what else is coming up in 2021 for you. For sure. Um, I've got an album coming. Um, which is super exciting. I've been working really hard on it. Um, but yeah, it should be finished very imminently soon. And then, yeah, it should be coming this year. I can't say when. Um, but Johnny's movie was the first single. And then, yeah, with the, the next single is coming. And yeah, it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I think it's going to be so fun. Awesome. It does sound like, you know, John Hughes' movie is a great start. It's upbeat. It's introducing us to a new dimension of the world of Macy Peters. Any particular direction that you wanted to take with this album? Um, I guess I just wanted it to feel very representative of me um, in all sort of, in all my different styles and in all the different music that I love and places and people that I love. And I wanted it to feel like a I really hold the picture of that, which I think hopefully I will have achieved. One of us was married to an ex-marine with a blonde on the block. He said commitment scary. Then he left her alone with a house and a dog. So, so she ran to daddy and he said that man... That was singer-songwriter Macy Peters speaking on our Common Room program. Now let's talk garbage, literally. 
In this week's Trash Talk, Mossy Trent Long spoke to Principal Environmental Officer Stephen Sue about their ongoing consultation on the plastic beverage recycling program that will end on the 21st of next month. Let's have a listen. In summary, the PPRS have several key features I would like to share with you. First up, they will provide a rebate to encourage people to return the plastic bottle. You know, you give some incentive to people and you can mobilize them to return their bottles. Second is uh, we will impose a uh, recycling levy at a beverage supply level to fund the operation of the scheme. Third, we will require some uh, retail stores selling our plastic bottle beverages at certain scale to serve as a designated return point to facilitate people to return their bottles to this point. And fourth, um, we will consider suitable ad- applications of the prefer vending machines, the REM. It's very common oh, the reverse now. vending machines, Reverse right? vending yeah. machines, right. Mm. To enhance the recovery uh, efficiency and facilitate the uh, provisions of the rebate to the, uh, to the, to the public. And lastly, but not the least, uh, we will introduce a licensing control to ensure proper recycling of the uh, plastic bottle collect under the scheme. Okay. So then the recycling levy that you talked about, that actually funds the operation of the program in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, uh, the scheme uh, work on a polluter, polluter pay principles. Hmm. Actually, it's, uh, the polluter has to pay what they introduced, uh, some uh, material which at the end of the day will go to uh, some kind of treatment or recycling. They have to fund this uh, process. That is the concept behind the, uh, the producer responsibility scheme. Okay. Yeah. And then what the consumer sees, right, is that there's a deposit scheme of either five cents, ten cents, or whatever that you get back after returning the beverage container. Is that- yeah, yeah. Actually, so we call it a rebate uh, to make it uh, to make the system uh, work more sim- simpler. So uh, people, uh, when they return a bottle to a particular uh, designated, or we call it designated return point, they can uh, get uh, some kind of uh, rebate. Actually, uh, in our consultation document, uh, we have proposed uh, 10 cents per bottle as the start. We, we just uh, want to uh, give some idea to, to uh, let people to focus their discussions on, on this level. Uh, of our rebate to see whether it is acceptable or not, or it should be higher or lower. Actually, we we see a lot of uh, uh, feedback on this uh, this uh, this figure. Actually, <laughs> so people keep on debating: it should be higher or it should be lower. And uh, actually, no, so we have not yet really decided at this figure. stage. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it? It's always money, right? Yeah, it's more concept of money. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and why did you focus in on recycling plastic bottles? Why not aluminum also? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It's another <laughs> hot topic I've been discussed outside. Well, yeah. Of course, we're going to talk about the hot topics. Actually, here. sir, if uh, you look at the figures, um, uh, we got a um, uh, uh, plastic container. It's actually uh, the most common uh, uh, beverage packaging you find in Hong Kong. Uh, every day, uh, you have some uh, five million bottle generated in Hong Kong, and uh, five million, five million bottle a day. You know how, how the figure is uh, yeah. really um, enormous, and the majority are now being disposed of at our landfill. While some may uh, enter into environments uh, uh, causing a uh, uh, pollution or constituting threat to the wildlife and uh, marine, uh, marine environments. So uh, when we uh, consider uh, whether a uh, PRS should be uh, introduced for certain kind of pro- uh, products. Actually, we have considered a basket of factors. For example, uh, is necessity, uh, is uh, feasibility, is priority. Mm. And the other factor is uh, another factor we have to consider is whether Hong Kong has the actually has the uh, has the capability or uh, technology 
or the capacity to turn the material into some useful uh, 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 recyclable that can be have a market value. After all, if you collect uh, the, the, all the recycled bed and there's no outlet, there's no enough, uh, there's not enough uh, recycling capacity. It, it doesn't work. The scheme is out. Yeah. That's right. So we consider all this factor. And then so uh, then, with the plastic, it's because you're building the PET HDPE plastic recycling plant. So you'll have a large. Actually, place so before to we uh, uh, before we uh, roll out these uh, proposals, actually we have a review the local recycling capacity. Mm. It's not just uh, one single uh, uh, facility. Actually, there's uh, quite a number of uh, local recyclers engaged in. This business, we have assessed the capacity as capable of uh, dealing with all the bottles. So if we are going to collect this kind of material for recycling under the scheme, okay. So, so that's why uh, we uh, we roll out this scheme first, right? Yeah, but uh, I can tell you, uh, government is not will not stop at right here. We, we will also <laughs> we will, we will uh, keep uh, looking for another suitable uh, product. Uh, actually, so after this uh, this product, uh, we have rolled the scheme. We will consider next, uh, which is the next target. This governments uh, do, do it in, there, in this way or step by step. So kind of following, hopefully within that waste blueprint that you just came out with, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a Actually, we have we, we a lot of uh, a challenging target ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. you do. I know. Yeah. I think we do. So, well, yeah, because it's interesting that you didn't find the aluminum can recycling capacity. Maybe that's something that will come in the future. Maybe I, I can uh, talk a little bit on this. Uh, actually, it's... Uh, if you uh, look at the recycling bin uh, outside, actually you hardly find any uh, aluminum can because uh, we find that there's already a self-sustainable market in Hong Kong. We consider that uh, uh, the interventions in the form of PRS is not necessary for these kind oh, of materials because okay. they can work in the cell. Some people uh, may ask for uh, a recycling of a Tetra Pak, the beverage cartoons. Again, uh, when we uh, look at these factors, uh, we have to consider uh, whether uh, there's a sufficient capacity to uh, deal with this kind of material. Because uh, actually, tetrapack is a kind of composite materials. You have to use some uh, special technology to separate the material. They are uh, comprised of paper, plastic, and aluminum foils. And these have to separate before you can uh, effectively recycle them. And currently, um, we understand that there's a, a pilot recycling plant uh, operating in Hong Kong uh, with the for support from the recycling fund. We will uh, keep an eye on it and see uh, whether it's the right time to uh, look at this issue uh, as, a, as the next target. That was Stephen Sue, the Principal Environmental Officer, speaking on Trash Talk. And finally this week, we close the program with a look back at the afternoon drive on Thursday with Steve James. I'm Janice Wong, and I'll see you again for another week on three. Bye for now. Have a great weekend. Celebrating the birthday today, born 1944, uh, Mr. Dave Edmonds, the Welsh singer, songwriter, guitarist, actor, actually, record producer. With Love Sculpture, he had the 1968 UK number five single, Sabre Dance, which is amazing and really loud and probably not for this time of day and then there was the solo 1970 uk number one and us number four single this oldie revisited by dave edmund's birthday boy i hear you knocking